And Lord, your love is there for us directly. Your love is restored through one another in the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, you surround us with your love. And you meet us there when we're sinning. We need you. We thank you for that. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray you would open up our hearts and our minds. You would speak to us, encourage us, and help us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, hallelujah. Well, uh, let me say, we're moving toward the end of the church calendar, and, and toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, near the end of his initial time with us here in the earth, he took a fair amount of time to talk to his disciples and teach his disciples uh, a lot about his second coming. And much of that occurs in something that's often called the Olivet Discourse. It's it's a, a, a series of, of teachings or, or, or a group of teachings that Jesus delivered on the Mount of Olives late in his ministry, large, fundamentally in response to a question from his disciples about the end of the age. When's that going to happen and what's it going to look like and how will we know? And so Jesus answered that question in what's sometimes called the Olivet Discourse, a, a pretty lengthy answer, two full chapters of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And at the end of that discourse, he closes up with a series of parables that are really warnings about how you and I need to be living as we wait and anticipate the return of Jesus. And in those parables, he pointed out we need to be looking, we need to be ready, we need to be busy about the work of God as we wait for the return of Jesus. Jesus closed out his Olivet Discourse with what's often called the parable of the sheep and the goats. I actually read it to you about three weeks ago when I introduced my my sermon on abortion and and how that ought to affect your thinking. And it is actually next week's gospel lesson, but I wanted to look at it this morning. And so in honor of the Word of God, would you just stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God as you're able to do that. And I'm going to read for us Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, um, It's a little bit longer than we would typically read together, so I'm just going to read it for us. This is Jesus speaking, and this is what the Bible says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? 
he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, as I said a a moment ago, traditionally these words of Jesus are referred to as the parable of the sheep and the goats because Jesus uses the imagery there of a shepherd dividing between his flock. But the truth of the matter is this isn't really a very typical parable. It's actually much more of a straight-up declaration about what is going to happen, a declaration about the coming inevitable ultimate, final separation and judgment that is coming to all mankind. Before we dig into the details, I want to make sure you don't miss the larger setting of this teaching of Jesus. The giant who that precedes the what. Listen again to what Jesus says as he introduces this teaching. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This past Monday night at our Let's Talk uh, discipleship gathering, I shared an article from a a well-known Christian writer, well-known Christian uh, 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 person today, an article that I think is really terrible, frankly, but I shared it to open up discussion about it. And in a part of the article, in the part of the article, the author stressed how, in his opinion, how crucial it is that you see Jesus and that you know Jesus as, quote, the brown-skinned Palestinian Jewish refugee Savior, end quote. But I have to tell you, as I look at the Scripture, and particularly as I read this passage this morning, it seems way more important to me that you see Jesus and know Jesus as God in the flesh. The glorious, high, and lofty one, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who was and is and is to come. The one who right now this morning is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and one day soon at the Father's bidding is coming back to judge the world. Coming back, when he comes back, he will summon the nations to gather before him, and everyone will show up. And when they do, he will separate them one from another, one at a time, as he sees fit, either commending or condemning each one, each soul, even with the slightest gesture of his hand. In these two verses, Jesus reveals his true nature. Jesus reveals his true self in all its glory. And the essence of Jesus, the essence of Jesus is most certainly not found in the color of his skin. The essence of Jesus is not found in his humble earthly surroundings. The essence of Jesus is quite plainly found in his majesty and glory and authority and power. He is the Son of Man whose coming was foreseen and foretold by the prophet Daniel. And speaking of this great Son of Man, Daniel described it this way. He said, 
in my vision uh, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I want to assure you this morning, this is how you need to see Jesus. This is how you need to know Jesus, because this is how he's coming back. He's coming in the clouds of heaven, surrounded by all the angels. The Bible says all of them. Surrounded by all the angels, commanding the nations to gather before him. And then passing judgment on every person. And I want to be sure as you read these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, that you understand this is how Jesus describes himself. Jesus is talking here about himself. And you've got to kind of wonder, what sort of self-image does someone have to have to talk about himself in those terms? People who don't know the Bible very well. People who don't really know Jesus, who don't know that much about Jesus who don't really know the things that Jesus did, who don't really know the things that Jesus said. Sometimes people like that like to talk about Jesus as a great moral teacher or as a great religious leader. But i got to tell you, there have been lots and lots of great moral teachers and lots and lots of great religious leaders, and absolutely none of them ever talked about themselves like this. None of them predicted their own death and their own bodily resurrection from the dead. None of them ever claimed in and of themselves to have the authority and power to forgive your sins. None of them ever said they were coming back and commanding every nation to stand before them. And when they did, they would personally sentence every human being to an eternity in either heaven or hell. People don't talk like this about themselves. And yet Jesus does. He says, speaking of his own return, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Did you catch it? He says, when he comes in his glory, in his own personal blinding glory, not when he comes reflecting the glory of the Father, but when he comes emanating the glory that is his own. You can reflect the glory of God. I can reflect the glory of God. We should reflect the glory of God as his creations, as his dearly loved children sent to represent him in the world. We're supposed to reflect the glory of God. But if we got half a brain, we understand when that happens, it is in fact the glory of God, not the glory of us. And we do everything in our power to make sure God gets the credit for it. And yet Jesus, on the other hand, comes in his own glory, lighting up the sky with it. And what does he do when he gets here radiant in his own glory? So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. He sits down on a throne of glory that is once again his own. He doesn't have to borrow one. He's got one that is for him. Jesus simply is not 
some nice, humble, brown-skinned teacher. Jesus is Lord of all. God in human flesh and blood. And he is coming back one day to judge every person on earth. C.S. Lewis noted, speaking of Jesus, either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. The first time Jesus came into this world, he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he comes again, he is coming back as the judge of all humanity. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus returns and sits in judgment, your thoughts on the matter your opinion of yourself, your opinion of your standing before God, your opinion of your own goodness will be completely immaterial on that day. The only opinion that's going to matter, the only word that's going to matter is the opinion and the word of the judge himself. As Jesus said, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will decide who's in and who's out. He will decide who's sheep and who's goats. And he will not ask for my or your input. Oh, how I hope this morning that you know Jesus and you see Jesus as he really is. From this brief but crucial introduction, Jesus then goes on to talk in some detail about the separation he is going to make on that day. And he talks in no uncertain terms about the things each group of people did or failed to do. The sheep are commended, for example, for giving food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty for welcoming the stranger and visiting the abandoned and providing clothes for the needy. The goats, on the other hand, are condemned for their abject failure to do those things, even presumably in spite of their ample opportunity to. Now a careless reading of this passage, a reading that lacks a proper grounding in the rest of the Word of God, might lead you to conclude that Jesus is teaching here a sort of salvation by good works. Might lead you to conclude that Jesus is saying, if you do enough good things, you can make it into heaven. The problem with that reading is it is flatly contradicted by the rest of the Bible. Biblically speaking, there can be no doubt whatsoever that salvation Peace with God and a place in heaven is available only by the grace of God, and that only by faith in Jesus. 
when his disciples ask him on one occasion, who can be saved? The Bible says Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. When they asked him about the way they should go, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As the Apostle Paul explained to the Ephesian Christians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So make no mistake about it. You cannot do enough works, enough good works. You cannot feed enough hungry people. You cannot visit enough lonely people to earn your way to eternal life, to earn your way into the family of God. Good works cannot save you. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm sure that's probably true. I'll ask your wife, but you know, we'll 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 you know we'll take it. I'm a pretty good guy is not good enough. You cannot do enough good things to earn your way into the family of God. Good works cannot save you, but they still matter very much. Because again, according to the Bible, while you are not saved by good works, you are most certainly saved for them. Returning again to these words of the Apostle Paul, he says, look, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he goes on in the very next sentence to say, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So again, to be clear, you're not saved by the good works you do. But you are saved to do good works for God. Jesus came to save you, to change you. His salvation is designed to change you into the person God wants you to be. The kind of person God created you to be. The kind of person God designed you to be. A, a person who lives like Jesus. A person who loves like Jesus. A person like the sheep Jesus described in his teachings about the sheep and the goats. One last thing and then I close. I want to make sure that you notice, church person, as you look at this teaching of Jesus, that the sheep here in this case are not commended for all the bad things they did not do. In other words, the sheep here are not described as those who didn't cuss and didn't carouse and didn't do a bunch of other bad stuff. Rather, the sheep here are commended for who they have become in Jesus. I don't think it's about doing the good works. It's about who they've become, how they've been changed, how they've been transformed through the gospel to be someone more like Jesus. How consistently, they're commended for how consistently and how naturally they have begun to lay down their lives for other people. In fact, when Jesus commends them, they don't even know what he's talking about. Jesus said, hey, you've done all these wonderful things. They said, Lord, when do we do that? They're oblivious. It's natural. It is simply who they are. It is simply how they function because they have been changed 
by the glory of the gospel. They're committed for how well and how consistently and how practically they have come to love God and love people. Now, let me say this. You can bet your bottom dollar that Jesus expects his sheep not to cuss and not to carouse and not to do bad things. You simply cannot live a wanton life of sin in which you gleefully and consistently carry on intentional sin and call yourself a follower of Jesus. That's nonsense. You can't on purpose consistently do things Jesus says not to do and simultaneously say you're following him. That's ridiculous. Let me say it clearly. You simply cannot carry on day after day in intentional, unrepentant sin and expect to have a place in the kingdom of God. But by the same token, it is a huge mistake to imagine that becoming more like Jesus simply means getting rid of a few bad habits. Jesus came to save you. He came to take away your sin and to turn you into a new person down on the inside. Jesus came to save you by making you the kind of person God called you and created you to be. The person in your better moments you always wish you were but never quite seemed to get there. Jesus came to make you that, to save you and move you in that direction. In our Let's Talk About it about God and Politics series and in our Let's Talk About It discipleship gatherings, I've been trying to point out over and over again how in this world so often the left steps into help by offering wildly unbiblical and often patently evil solutions. And in this world, how often the right steps in to contradict the solutions of the left without ever doing anything to actually try and help. Which is why as the people of God, we've got to stop trying to identify left and right and identify as Jesus and the people of God. And then as Bible-believing followers of Jesus, we must speak the truth in love and step personally into the hurt and the pain and the muck and the mess in order to try and bring the healing and the hope and the love of God. We must become the sheep we have been called to be and do the things we've been called to do. We've got to feed the hungry. We've got to clothe the naked. We've got to visit the sick and the lonely. We've got to love the unlovable. We've got to touch the untouchable. We've got to get our hands dirty as we seek to love and help a broken, hurting world full of broken, hurting people. It is simply not enough to think right and believe right. We also must go and live right. Jesus is coming back. May we be found busy when he gets here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we always thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. You show us things we need to know, things we would never figure out on our own. Lord, you show us the glory that you have. You show us the glory of Jesus as he and you are one. You show us the coming day of judgment, and you tell us how to be prepared. 
Help us, O Lord our God, to heed your word and to live like you want us to live. Trusting in the grace of God through Jesus to be sufficient for our salvation. But then doing the good works you've prepared in advance that we should do. That we might glorify you and help others. Make us that people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We're going to continue to worship the Lord.